Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am rejoined for the first time in several weeks by my co-host, Ellie Mistal. How are you? Hey, I'm here today, guys. What's up? Yeah, well, I mean, not much. How are you? Well, I've been, I was, last week I was on vacation. Well, it was more of a staycation, but I just needed to unplug. Um, so I was playing a lot of Elite Dangerous last week. Um, oh, is that the code name that you like, like a corporate deal, the code name you have for your book proposal? Yeah. Because um, uh, that was what you were supposed to be working on. Right. It's, right. It's a, it's a <laughs> game about flying around in space. Right. But instead you played video games. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's, um, that's about right. And then two weeks ago I was having a bad race day. So. Well, right. right. Fair enough. I, need, I needed a second. Mm-hmm. So but I'm back now. Excellent. Well, welcome back. Back and blacker than ever. Welcome back. So... What all is going on in your uh, in your world? Today? So yesterday I was in the office because I was doing a, a quick uh, TV spot. So I actually stopped by work, which is rare for me, and I went downstairs to the. Bo- Trust me, as your coworker, I know. I went downstairs to the bodega to buy myself a pack of Parliaments because I am a child of the '90s and I'm a smoker. And I walk in now. I used to buy the vape stuff from this same bodega. I have it in a while mm-hmm. because the powers that be in our office have decided that vaping is not is frowned upon. In this establishment, literally going back to the original uh, episode, episode of this show, <clears throat> I believe when I discussed that no, it's actually always been illegal in New York. So I do not. So I haven't waved in this office for quite some time. But I. But the, and know, everyone thanks you. But the bodega guy still, you know, he knows who I am. And so when I walk in yesterday here in New York State, the bodega guy goes, "Oh, my friend, you know, we cannot sell you the uh, the the vapors um, only for two more weeks." And I just go, well, I can still buy regular cigarettes, of course. Uh, Of course. And he goes, of course, my friend. Yeah. Which is why we fail as a goddamn country. Right. Now, I I am not here to defend smoking. What I do to my body is bad and cancerous and will lead to my death. I tend to enjoy the personal freedom to make my own choices for self-destruction. But if New York State is going to ban something... How in the hell are we not banning cigarettes as opposed to vape pens or just ban them all together? Yeah. I mean, if we care about people's health so much that we're going to take personal choice away from them, let's take away the personal choice that is actually killing people, which is the freaking cigarettes, as opposed right. to just the candy flavored vape pens, which people, which parents are getting their panties in a bunch over because like little, 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 little teenage kids are smoking cotton candy vape pens. Yeah. And as long as we're banning stuff, sorry. Sure. There's also, you know, guns. We yes. can also ban that. I'm right. just saying. Right. If we're on the banning train. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's fair to say, and this sounds a little bit conspiracy theory, but at some point, on some level, conspiracy theories uh, can occasionally stumble into the truth. <laughs> and it, it's true that a lot of the vaping companies have now had controlling interests bought in them by, you know, tobacco manufacturers, cigarette manufacturers, and you know, they now have a vested interest in not fighting to defend vapes because you know. They were competition, and you might think, "Oh, well, they own some shares of this, so aren't they? Aren't they protecting it?" And it's like because the profit margin is smaller on those; they're more complex. It's easier to go to cigarettes. So yeah, so that probably has a lot to do with it. But you know, while we're talking about 
bad things you can medicinally do to your body and how there's corruption involved in that and the need to do things. See how this is kind of a seamless transition? Yeah. I, yeah. Almost like we thought about it. No, yeah. And we and trust me, if you've listened to this show before, you know there has been no thought about any of this before we did it. But we wanted to check in on a legal crisis that's out there and is making news that we haven't really touched too much upon. And what's that? That would be the opioid crisis, or as black people like to call it, the usual shit. Specifically from a legal angle, though, we want to talk about Purdue Pharma. I, I, thought, I thought the black people take was to look at white people and go, see, this is what we've had to deal with before. I'm sorry that you finally figured this out. But because- Oh, it's a disease oh, now. Oh, is it a disease now? How convenient. Yes. Yeah. So to do that, um, we here at Above the Law, we have a sister website who uh, named, called Med City News that covers this. So we decided to bring on uh, Alaric Diarmit from, from Med City News to talk with us a little bit about it from the medical reporting uh, side of things. And we'll talk from the legal side and we'll, uh, do, some, uh, we'll do some opioiding. Right. Is that a word? No, Welcome. but it could um, be. <laughs> Welcome to the show. So Thank you. First uh, of all, just for our listeners who are not following this kind of news all the time, just give us a brief overview of, of what Purdue Farmer is. Because before this started happening, I thought Purdue made chickens. Um, <laughs> and apparently they're into more than that. That's not even <laughs> spelled the same. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think the chicken company is P-E-R. Yeah, it's more, like, uh, it's more like the university. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like the Boilermakers. Yes. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So I thought Purdue made bad football. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Harsh. But at a great uh, engineering school, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So basically, Purdue Pharma is based up in Stanford, Connecticut, um, owned by the Stackler family. And they're the company that makes OxyContin, which is a long-acting form of oxycodone, which is a an opioid painkiller that's been on the market for ages and ages. So why are they in trouble now? Because Oxycontin seems like a, I've had it when I, I had my gallbladder out, um, you know, about 15 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I've had Oxycontin at that point. It helps. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Because yeah, my... I find a lot of the things you do to be particularly galling. So I thought <laughs> you still had that. <laughs> I'll be here all week, folks. Such a dick. Um, so <laughs> why is Oxycontin bad all of a sudden? Well, Oxycontin isn't, is not inherently bad. I mean, if it's being used the way it's supposed to be used, then it's a perfectly fine drug. The problem is that the, what the company is accused of doing and what other um, opioid makers are accused of doing is essentially promoting improper use of the drug, you know, getting, um, getting doctors to prescribe it more often than they should and getting people hooked on it. Because it is an opioid and it's very highly addictive. And you hit on a legal concept that's kind of important for those who haven't done um, a lot of litigation involving stuff like the FDA. But Mm -hmm. prescribing it for uses that it's not meant to be prescribed for is the real bread and butter of this kind of litigation. Uh, Yeah. Because – Drugs are approved for certain purposes. It's not like you say, oh, this drug is fine. Well, I guess you do kind of in the over-the-counter side. But when you're in the prescription world, it's approved very situationally. And it's on the doctors to make sure that it's used in those proper forms. And that's what the FDA is there to do. And when companies are reaching out and doing ad campaigns to encourage off-label prescriptions, that's a problem. Because doctors can prescribe things off-label. Correct. 
but they can't be told to be doing that or incentivized for it. Yeah. So basically, um, there was another opioid company that was involved in a scandal as well called Insys. Their founders- Incest? No, (laughs) Insys. Insist. Insys. I-N-S-Y-S. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, Insys. Insys as in system. See, let's be very clear. We're going to make fun of almost all of these companies as they come (laughs) out because they all have ridiculous names. But on that note, Purdue- Actually, one of the more normal ones. All right, let's move <laughs> yeah. on. Insys. Yeah, so, um, you know, several of their uh, founders actually were found guilty in court because they promoted off-label prescribing of a form of uh, fentanyl that is approved for treating uh, breakthrough cancer pain. But what they did is they got a bunch of pain doctors to prescribe it for, you know, other pain issues that are yeah. not related to cancer. So... It's, it's kind of, I mean, it is a bit of a fine line. I mean, so a doctor legally can prescribe a drug for anything, but they have to do it within ethical, you know, ethical boundaries and according to, you know, data. Yeah. It has to be grounded in actual science. A company cannot promote drugs for off-label use. That's illegal. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, and you've kind of touched <laughs> on this already, but can you explain why aren't the doctors the ones being sued if they're the ones writing the scripts for off-label use as opposed to the pharmaceutical company? Like, why aren't I going after Dr. Feelgood, who's prescribing me oxycotin because, you know, I got a blister? I mean, while doctors can get in trouble for this, the real the real crux of this issue is the off-label promotion. And while I wasn't involved in any of this opioid stuff, I have I have been a lawyer involved in cases like this before. You are from the Midwest, so I'm sure you've done some. I've only been a lawyer in New York City, but I hear what you're trying to do. But there were there was a rash of instances like this several years ago where pharmaceutical companies or medical device companies, because this also applies to them, these rules apply to them too, would try to, would regale, shall we say, doctors with trips and junkets mm-hmm. and golf golf uh, things oh, and stuff like, like that. Oh, this is like when they took uh, Dr. Richard Kimball's friends to Provasic, took them on the fishing trip. Right? Provasic. You remember that company, but not that. Yeah, exactly. This is very much like The Fugitive. And what would happen is these trips, which are sales trips, and it's perfectly fine to sell your drug. But part of the discussion would be the FDA doesn't says you can't prescribe this for, using the fentanyl example, pain. But, buddy, we took you out here for golf, and did you know it actually could help for that? And that sort of... Of thing that is yeah. that is a crime. Well, I think an uh, interesting thing to point out is that this whole multi-district litigation mm-hmm. with um, in which Purdue is involved, you know, it involves more than just Purdue. There's also Malincroft. There's Johnson oh, and Johnson. There's right. yeah. <laughs> Endo Pharmaceuticals. Johnson Johnson. Um, that's pretty normal. And then, of course, there's also distributors, um, Amerisource, Bergen, uh, Cardinal Health, retailers like Walgreens. So there, there's a lot of different players here. I mean, it's, just, Purdue is, you know, obviously one of the bigger ones and the most infamous. But right. Can you just explain yeah. really quickly the difference between a pharmaceutical company like Purdue Pharma and a distributor? Like, what does a distributor do? Like, what? Like where, the pharmacy. Right. Like, but, yeah. but, like, we're, yeah. so, but when I think of pharmacy, I think of CVS or... Well, he right. didn't say Walgreens. Yeah, Walgreens, Walgreens oh, okay. is involved. They're a retail pharmacy. Distributors are the ones that distribute the drugs. I mean, and the pharma companies are the ones that actually pr- develop and produce the drugs. So they've been sued. They lost. They lost big time. And so they filed for bankruptcy. 
right, to kind of yeah. protect themselves from the lawsuit. Yeah. So for 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 people again who 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 aren't now bankruptcy attorneys, and by the way, with yeah. a recession on the way, y'all should consider being bankruptcy attorneys. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is. It's going to be a growth industry. Um, you guys are going to be fine. But for people who are not bankruptcy attorneys or don't really understand bankruptcy law, one of the reasons why you file for bankruptcy is that it's it's not so much just to limit your liability. It's to order the payouts of your liabilities, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, your investors get paid off first, then a bunch of other stakeholders, and then you only kind of get at the very end to the people who have actually been hurt by your litigation. Your litigation losses count as a debt against your company, but it's a debt that has to stand in line against a whole bunch of other debts. And so when a company like Purdue files for bankruptcy, the people who were likely to get screwed are the people who should have won money from the settlement. Which brings us to the Sackler family, which is, I'm assuming, rich people who own? Very, yeah. So, So who are they? So they're the ones who own Purdue Pharma, and they have pledged to pay $3 billion of their own money toward this proposed uh, settlement from Purdue, which would be worth, you know, $10 billion and maybe even up to like $12 billion. You know, some of the... Their use uh, of the term their own money, though, is pretty interesting. Though. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting about it is that Letitia James, she... That's the uh, New York State Attorney General. Yeah. So she found that uh, apparently they had transferred like about a billion dollars or something like that to Swiss bank accounts. As one does. <laughs> yeah, as one does. So that kind of complicates the, the, the whole effort because, you know, I mean, I think some of the attorneys general are, you know, okay with the settlement, but then a bunch of them are also opposing it like Letitia James and the, uh, the ones in Connecticut and Massachusetts. So one, some of the dirt on the Sackler family is that, you know, this is a Purdue Farmers, a family-owned business that they have been raiding for generations, <laughs> um, you know, reaping the profits of the business, and they've done it in in a very kind of standard way, where you know the company pays out money, and then the Sacklers take the take the profits of the company and put it in their bank account. So when the company goes bankrupt, a lot of their what should have been Purdue's kind of cushion, financial cushion for a large settlement has already been raided by the Sackler family. The legal issue at play here is really to the extent the extent to which state attorney generals can pierce the veil and go after the Sackler money directly in order to pay off Purdue's debts, as opposed to keeping all of the debts um, focused solely on the Purdue Pharma Company, which is, which is bankrupt. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is always the question with piercing the corporate veil. Like, the economy works better because we allow there to be a corporate veil that separates individual owners from the company's assets. It allows people to take risks that they wouldn't otherwise do if they thought their entire livelihood would go under if they gambled it on a business. These are the reasons we have this. That said, there are perhaps too onerous blockades to getting past that when people really are basically merged with the business. And they are not really, this is my separate business from my livelihood, but it, it, they, it is them. They are really just the actor themselves. And so that's what you're arguing for is that in this case, they may be that. And they may or may not, but that is, that's, where, that's what Ellie's talking about. Do you have a prediction on how that's going to fall? My guess is that the splitting of the baby will be that 
yes, there's a corporate there there is a corporate veil. These pe- folks aren't individually liable for any of this. However, these most recent transfers were fraudulent transfers, given that they knew that a bankruptcy was going to happen, and therefore those transfers have to go back. Yeah. That's my guess as to how a judge would cut this up, because there are rules against. Basically, you can't – if you know you're about to go bankrupt, you can't start moving money so that you don't have to pay it. That would defeat the purpose of bankruptcy rules. So <laughs> we have provisions to claw that back. Yeah. The other thing we wanted to talk to you about today, uh, Alaric, is I was reading on your website, there's a new peanut allergy drug. This is, a, yeah. this is important um, in my little life because I have two children. And while my children are thankfully food allergy-free – you know, you can't go to a school lunch or a you yeah, know a yeah. field trip or whatever without getting bombarded with "Don't bring nuts! You're killing the children with your peanuts!" And like, it's a big freaking thing. My kids peanuts are legumes. My 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 peanut, you know. Just, and then yeah. they're also like the parents who's like, "Oh, is there gluten in that cake, bitch? I don't know. It's a goddamn cake. I assume so." Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my my kids' birthday parties this weekend, and I'm just. I, I, <laughs> feeding 30 kids with their own, you know, 30, relatively speaking, upper middle class kids um, with all their different fucking, you know, uh, issues is annoying, yet also terrifying because God forbid you put the wrong thing with the wrong kid and whatever, and there's a serious allergic reaction on your watch, like you would feel horrible. So as much as it's... Eh, would you? (laughs) Sorry, I, that was that probably was me. I may be different here. <laughs> Go on. I would feel horrible if some child came to my son's birthday party and left uh, in an ambulance um, because of something that was in the food. So obviously you're taking it all seriously. But that's why I noticed yeah. the peanut allergy uh, thing. Um, because if there was just a pill, you just give all the kids and be like, all right, now have a Snickers. Yeah. Like that, that would be the, the, the best of all worlds. Yeah, so um, Palforzia, that's the name. And basically... Palforzia! Again, I don't understand where this whole industry comes up with its names. There's some, like, gen- random letter generator out it's there. Like, it's, it's, well, they, there's quite a lot that goes into it, believe oh, it yeah. or not. Yeah, they have to spend quite a bit coming up with drug names because, you know, they're, you know the FDA requires that it cannot sound like the name, uh, the brand name of a drug that's on the market, and it cannot sound like the generic name of a drug that's on the market. So they... The usual, I mean, there's, there. I mean, there's a bit of art and science that goes into it. I mean, sometimes it'll be some reference to the disease that it's treating or the active ingredients or, yeah, things of that. Well, nature. this is also very much a patent issue, right? You can't yeah. have this be named something, and your trade, and it's a trademark issue. Trademark, You're yeah. selling it under these trademarks. Yeah, this is reminiscent of for those who've seen the South Park episode where they spend a good deal of time coming up with more and more egregious names trying to see if it's already been patent trademarked and yeah. they i believe they all ultimately come up with a pair of balls placed menacingly on the table uh, is the only company name that was not previously trademarked before. Actually, that episode, for those, if you do remember this episode, yeah. because that episode is actually a very good episode if you're interested in, in the law because yeah. Cartman's scheme is entirely legal and entirely or was under the prevailing laws of the time and was entirely ingenious, which was he then renamed the company Washington Redskins because (laughs) the football team did not have a valid trademark at that time, (laughs) given the way the courts had been. And so he said, yeah, we could use that. (laughs) Okay. So Pal Forzian. Yeah. Is it going to, is it going to make my child's birthday party better? 
So um, basically what happened is that the, um, the drug underwent review by the NFTA advisory committee. So the FDA convenes advisory committees of outside experts, um, physicians, patient advocates, biostatisticians, when uh, there's some uncertainty about a drug. You know, maybe there's some controversy about it they, or, you know, they just need outside expertise. So the advisory committee voted seven to two in favor of the drug's safety efficacy or in favor of the drug's efficacy profile and eight to one in favor of its safety profile, meaning that it is essentially telling the FDA, you know, you can go ahead and approve this drug. Now, the FDA... Works, it works and it's not going to kill anybody. Uh, yeah. So basically, the FDA is not required to follow the advice of advisory committees. It usually does. You know, sometimes when the advisory committee says yes, the FDA says no. Sometimes when the advisory committee says no, it still says yes. But usually if the advisory committee says this is a good drug, the FDA will go along with that. So my, my question here is who wants the drug to happen and who doesn't, right? Because it seems to mm -hmm. me that, like, planters would have a vested interest in making sure this drug is <laughs> <laughs> like comes out, right? I, I guess you could say that. I, do, I don't think that's really necessarily the reason, though, because, I mean, the idea is that the drug is, is mainly for accidental exposure. You know, like, like a kid comes to your child's birthday party and, you know, consumes something that happens to contain peanut protein, and this will lessen the likelihood of a, an allergic reaction. Is it a prophylactic, so you got to take it before the party, or, you can take, or is it like an EpiPen you can take it after? Well, neither. It's actually something that you would be taking regularly, and eventually you build up a tolerance. Oh. Yeah. So then, Joe, yes. if the kid shows up to my kid's party and has and Profosier is out and has been out for like years and doesn't take Profosier and then gets um, all anaphylactic on me, do I have a defense because the parents should have been giving them Profosio? That's thinking like a lawyer, my friends. Yeah. Like, do I have a defense because the parent didn't do the de minimis level of protection of their kid from peanuts? A de minimis level, this drug is inevitably going to be something that those parents probably don't have coverage for and then will have to spend hundreds out of pocket for. So no, but go on. Well, you know, it is it is important to point out actually that, so there's uh, what's called a uh, risk evaluation and mitigation strategy. And this is basically what a drug label will get when there's a lot in the way of, you know, potential toxicities involved or other safety issues. So part of that REMS, as it's called, includes that patients who are on this drug have to have an EpiPen um, mm. or their caregivers have to have an EpiPen because there is still a, a risk backup. of, yeah. yeah, there is still a risk of allergic reaction. It's just a lessened risk of it. If you yeah. still have to have the EpiPen, what the hell is the point? And that, that is something that uh, I think was sort of alluded to, which is that it is an extra expense. But then at the same time, you know, eventually there, there is a lower risk of... of that's a very batteries not included kind of bullshit toy. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. So, wow. I mean, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I'm assuming you're not taking over America's health care. Look, there are no peanuts. There, there's, there's no peanuts at, at the at the party, and my wife, who is a saint on these things, has actually gone out of her way to make sure that we have gluten free cupcakes. Well, okay, I will. Yeah, I will point out that gluten I think, as I just fate. mentioned before, Sorry. the vote. Did I say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> the vote was seven to two. So, in terms of the efficacy, and eight to one in terms of safety, and there was one of the uh, doctors who voted against the drug efficacy. on both. Both oh, grounds, yeah. Okay. 
you know, because he basically, yeah, he essentially said that the safety and efficacy profile of the drug do not support it. But, mm. you know, again, he was the minority opinion. So. Well, cool. All right. Yeah. Wish no. my kid happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday. So with that, we are going to move, uh, you know, move out of this subject. But thanks for uh, joining us today. My uh, pleasure. You should read Med City News. You should read Above the Law, obviously. You can follow us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. He's... Uh, Biotech Visigoth, I believe, which is one of my favorite Twitter handles of all time. (laughs) You should also listen to the entire offerings of the Legal Talk Network. You should give reviews to this podcast, subscribe to it, all that sort of stuff. Listen to the Jabot, Catherine's podcast. Uh, It's also her birthday, as it turns out, but whatever. Also does not have peanut allergies. Also does not. That's good. Anyway, uh, with all that, uh, we are done. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. 